Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. In a company, it's totally okay for uh, the, the owner to say, well, if you don't want to support our mission, I don't need to, to support you and you know, the, 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 the deal is off, so to speak, so you can be fired. You can't be fired from society. I mean, you can be exterminated, and that's what some of these uh, ruthless and, and evil leaders do, uh, saying, well, you're not a part, you, you don't, if you're not uh, committed to the transcendent goal of our race, uh, we're gonna get rid of you because you're a traitor to the people, or you're from an inferior race, and so on. And then, well, and I don't have to go into details of how much horror that has created it historically. Okay. So I believe that the, the role of a society or the mission of a society is to become a platform in which individuals can pursue their individual goals uh, and, and, and life purposes with peace and with mutual respect. And I, I emphasize this because your, your freedom ends where mine starts. So, you know, you're free to use your property and you're free to, to, to pursue your life ambition, but with some boundaries based on the need to coexist. You, you can't say, oh, to pursue my life ambition, I, I like your car, so I'm going to take it. Right. Uh, that, that, that's the dissolution of society. So there, that's what I mean by an institutional structure that um, harnesses the individual's desires for self-improvement or, or the improvement of their condition in a way that doesn't harm through coercion or, or, or aggression or violence the opportunities of other members of the society to also pursue their ambitions. And that's a, a very important structure that underlies every successful society. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Fred, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I was actually introduced to you by way of your publisher, uh, who sent me a copy of your book, The Meaning Revolution, and I was really blown away by it. I, I sat down and tore through it in about two or three days. Uh, but before we get into the content of the book, I would want to start by asking you, what was the very first way that you ever made money growing up? Uh, I was a youth uh, leader. Uh, I'm, I'm Jewish, and in the Jewish community, we have a term called madrich. So I was, uh, when I was 12, I started uh, working with kids that were uh, six to eight years old. Mm -hmm. And what impact did that end up having on your life and, and sort of the direction that things have gone for you? I'm still doing the same. <laughs> I mean, now I do it with uh, kids that are 46 to uh, 48 years old. Huh. But, uh, uh, but really, I feel like I'm still, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an executive coach, I'm a teacher, I'm an advisor. 
Um, and I feel that really my life path has been uh, going first and trying to make all the mistakes that are possible and learning from them and paying the price. So I think can ease the path of other people that don't have to learn from their own experience, but they can use my sometimes wonderful, sometimes terrible experiences to uh, to avoid some of the pitfalls that uh, that I found. Mm-hmm. So, talk me through how you get from uh, you know being a youth leader to being an economist who uh, was trained at Berkeley, which we also have we share that in common. I was a Berkeley undergrad. Uh, to mm-hmm. how you get to doing leadership at LinkedIn, because that doesn't seem like a straight and narrow path. Oh, no, my life has been anything but straight and narrow. Um, well, I, I, I was interested in the human human condition and how human beings develop uh, because I was perhaps beginning with me, uh, wondering what does it mean to, to live a good life, to grow up, uh, to, to be a a healthy and I would say brilliant human being and it was it was a really interesting exploration because it kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper and every time I thought okay this is it then I would say oh but there's more and I ended up believing which is my current belief that the path is infinite that there is no stopping point to how extraordinary and beautiful a human life can be uh, and also there's no no limit to how horrible and how hellish a human life can be for oneself and to others as you know some of the monstrous bad leaders in history demonstrate so um, I wanted to study something that would combine um, the I would say the psychological, humanistic, uh, spiritual, philosophical dimensions with, um, with something more uh, precise and rigorous. I, I, I always had a good, a good head, so to speak, a, a, a brain that was suitable for mathematics and for abstraction and rigorous logical thinking. And it seemed, well, economics was, was an obvious thing to do. I studied originally in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing the the disastrous way in which the economy has always been mismanaged there, I was curious, like, how, how can this be? This country has all these uh, great assets, you know, natural resources, fairly educated people, and yet it is such a mess that um, the, I would say, the contradiction or the um, the non, uh, well, in, in economics we would say, or mathematics, I would say non-linearity, that the fact that you have all the components uh, that are very good, but then the system works very bad. Uh, what, what, what's wrong here? Um, what, where, where are we uh, breaking the chain that goes from each one of these good components to the bad system? Um, and I, I tried to understand that. I studied economics, and after five years, I didn't know anything. I didn't, I didn't feel like I could understand anything. So I went to Berkeley, and I studied economics there. And I, 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 I had to make a choice between 
the human part and the uh, rigorous mathematical part. And to be honest, I was a bit sick about uh, the human part because I lived through some really hard times in Argentina. Uh, I lived through a, a coup and a military government and some, some really hard things related to people disappearing and a lot of violence. It wasn't overt violence, but it was, it was, it was very frightening, uh, covert violence. So I decided to just focus on the theory and do mathematics. And that's what I did. I ended up teaching at MIT, uh, information systems and very, you know, very technical things. But I discovered that the, the real problems companies have uh, MIT has a wonderful connection with industry, so I, I had many chances to work with companies. And the, the, the discovery was that the problems that companies have are not really technical. I mean, certainly they need a, a certain amount of knowledge, uh, the technical engineering stuff, but that's not where I thought the biggest difference could be made. Um, it, was, it was really people not working well together. And in a sense, the, that discovery helped me also go back to the Argentinian economic situation and realize it wasn't the lack of knowledge. It was just that people didn't work well together. There was no trust. There were no, um, no connections, no alignment in terms of uh, basic institutional rules that would allow a group of people to work together for the common good. Um, and I... I started realizing that perhaps the, the solution to the problems that have been plaguing me since my, my early studies was not in more abstract mathematical models or theories, but really understanding how human beings think and work together. And that's what I started doing. I, I quit MIT after six years. I became a consultant and I started uh, working with technically minded people on humanistic issues because my, my background and my, uh, my earlier studies gave me enough of a, I'd say an identity to be able to speak about love, as I say, the, the four letter word, uh, without being immediately, uh, tarred, feathered and kicked out of the company. Uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years. And that's the path that brought me to MIT, uh, sorry, to, to LinkedIn, from MIT to LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and then from LinkedIn to Google, where I'm currently an, an advisor for leadership development. Mm. You know, what lessons from history, uh, particularly economic history, do you think that we haven't learned that are impacting our society today? Um, I'd say there's the biggest lesson, I, I don't know if we haven't learned, but I'll say just the lesson that I had not learned. And I feel that by learning that lesson, a lot of things became clear to me. Uh, it's, it's something that in economics is called the fallacy of composition and the fallacy of composition would would say that if you focus on each part and you add up the parts or you aggregate the parts in a linear way, uh, you're going to get the whole. And that is wrong. 
uh, at least in, in nonlinear systems like you know any system that we're interested in and certainly an economy or a company when you look at the individual components you miss something very essential about the system so the the way I would say this uh, with using a mathematical expression is that in order to optimize the system in order to do the best for the system you cannot optimize the subsystems. You have to avoid optimizing the subsystems. In fact, you have to sub-optimize the subsystems. What that means is that if you want to do the best for the team, every player has to subordinate to the team objective. You cannot have people trying to do the best for themselves because that destroys the... Um, the team's ability to perform as a unit. So a, a, a good team is not necessarily made of the best individuals. A good team is made of individuals that play well together. And even though each one of them may not be at the top of the game, so to speak, the team as a whole will perform much better than other teams that may have individually better players. This is called the fallacy of composition, and it applies to a lot of issues in economics. Uh, so if I look at, um, at a national economy, for example, and I, I would say if people are so self-interested and driven by their own uh, objectives that they're willing to harm with their behavior the welfare of other people, and there's no institutional structure to avoid that harm, then the economy will collapse. And I, we definitely haven't, haven't learned this lesson. I'm, I'm really uh, distressed by seeing the state of the world and each economy and how we don't have a clear system that will uh, prevent I would say greed, you know, greed, as opposed to Gordon Gekko's famous statement in Wall Street, greed is not good. Greed is rapacious. It's not an ambition to do well. Greed is overstepping boundaries to take advantage of other people for personal benefit. And there's always this idea that, oh, I can get a quick, I can get a quick gain and, uh, and, and, and avoid paying some price and then I'll be better off, and, and I'm going to sock someone else with the bill. And that is the, oh, it's the death knell of any society. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen this happen in Argentina. Now we can all see it happening in slow motion in Venezuela, how it's been collapsing for several years to the point that now it's a humanitarian disaster. People are, uh, you know, refugees are exiting en masse from Venezuela, trying to go to all the other countries in South America. It's just, and, and, and why did this happen? Because there were promises, oh, you can get something for nothing. You, 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 the government will give you something uh, and the government will, will make this out of just thin air uh, as opposed to, no, no, or we're going to take it from the rich. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, it's not fair that some people have a lot and some people don't. So uh, we're going to take from the ones who have to give to the ones that don't have uh, as a matter of social justice. And 
you know, I, this is not speaking about the need for justice, but the the greed or the desire to get something for nothing and the belief that it's possible to avoid the work that it takes to produce a result and that the system will work better by having some individuals um, take advantage of others, that always ends badly. Do you think that we're in danger of that happening here in the United States? Oh, absolutely. Um, There's so many political tensions. I, I, I hesitate to open, I, I have you know, any opinions about the United States. I'm, I'm very humble about it. It's a very complex system. I, I've been blessed to come to this country as an immigrant and, and be received with such open arms. I mean, I, my life has been really blessed by, by the opportunities that I encounter in the United States. I am a, an absolute fan and lover of the core ideas that founded this nation. So I feel almost more American than if I had been born here. Uh, but at the same time, I'm still, um, I'm still tentative about understanding this society and what are the stresses that, that, are, that are beginning to fracture it. And I see more and more that there are, that there are divisions in terms of political thinking that are taking people to you know, extremes in their camps. And uh, there are very few people are thinking, how do we create a system that will be just and will respect the individual rights that created this republic in a way that create prosperity and peace with mutual respect? I, I, I see that there are very few voices that in the cacophony of uh, of political um, extremism will will call for this higher order consideration and uh, and ask how do we all live together not how do how do we get or how does this party or that party get uh, get away with some of its political agenda so i'm seeing this and i'm i'm worried i would I, I wouldn't say i'm frightened at this point but i'm worried that um I've seen the political tensions get to the point where they become violent. And, you know, we have a saying in Argentina when uh, it doesn't translate too well, but it says something like when you get burned by hot milk, if you if you get burned by hot milk, every time you see a cow, you start crying. Uh, And, you know, I got burned because I've been in the middle of some really bad um, political extremes uh, between terrorism and anti-terrorism and coups and disappearances and so on. So maybe I'm oversensitive or a little paranoid, but I'm beginning to uh, smell the whiffs of um, misunderstandings and, and lack of dialogue that can, well, at least in my experience, led originally to, to, to some bad, very, very bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. Do you think that what do you think the consequences for the species or humanity at large are for what is going on here long term? Well, I, I, it's that's a very interesting question. I would say uh, we, we are at the crossroads um, because we've gotten to a technological state in which almost anybody 
can exterminate everybody. <laughs> like, there's, there's just, there are too many ways in which we can create harm for one another. And uh, some of these are uh, really existential risks to humanity. So if we learn how to live together in love and respect, uh, I can see an extraordinarily amazing future that unfolds before us. If we don't, um, I question whether we're going to make it or you know, it's going to be the cockroaches, the ones that, uh, that really rule the earth. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a defensive pessimist. What I mean is I try to think what's the worst thing that can happen and then act very energetically to avoid it and to make sure it doesn't happen. So I think if humanity is able, if we are all able to learn our lesson on how to coexist in peace and respect, um, it, it, I mean, this is, it's an amazing opportunity to, to grow and get to some extraordinary levels of consciousness and development and prosperity if we don't, um, uh, it doesn't look too good. Mm. Well, I, I think that makes it really a perfect segue to talk about uh, the content of the book. Uh, you know, you talk about this idea of transcendent relationship uh, leadership. What is the role of transcendent leadership, not just in our companies, but in society at large? Because it seems from everything you've just told me, this extends far beyond the walls of a company. Yes. Um, the, uh, it does. And yet there's a fundamental difference between a company and society. And I think that, again, there's a fallacy of composition when people go from a company to society or humanity or you know, a, a larger group. And let me try to explain because this is, this is not in the book, but it's, it's a very, for me at least, it's a very significant difference. A company has a purpose. A company is uh, an entity that's created by human beings that get together to accomplish something they couldn't accomplish alone. So let's just say, if well, I mean, I could do it. I, I can start a company alone, but then I'll get employees or I get other engaged consultants or other resources to participate in my company to accomplish something I couldn't do alone. More, most, nat uh, most often and, and, and naturally, people will get together with co-founders and then they'll raise capital and they'll have investors and then the company will become, if it's successful, it may become public and then a lot of people invest in it. But th there's always a guiding idea and a mission that the company has set out for itself. In society, that is not the case. We, we don't have a common purpose necessarily in the sense that we're trying to achieve something like a company does. So if you take, uh, I mean, say Google, for example, it, it's a company that has a, a, a purpose and products and a market and it's trying to accomplish something and it has a strategy and it has employees. And when Google hires someone, uh, Google says, look, we, we, we want your help to accomplish our mission. If you're willing to support us, we're willing to pay you, we're willing to support you in, in exchange. So there's a 
a trade, so to speak, in which you give us your best effort to support our mission and we'll help you grow, we'll help you be prosperous, we'll help you support your family, you know, whatever you want. Uh, and we'll give you a good working environment so you can be happy and healthy and so on. That's the trade. Society is not like that. You're born in a society and there's no no purpose. The society doesn't have a mission. In fact, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty scared of the people that says a, a society has a mission that's usually fascism or communism or uh, kind of more statist um, ideologies that will start violating the rights of the individual for the sake of the individual participating uh, in the in the society and being part of the group that's typical of fascism and Nazism um, and, and any form of, uh, as I said before, communism. So uh, the in a company, it's totally okay for uh, the the owner to say, well, if you don't want to support our mission, I don't need to to support you, and you know the the, the, the deal is off, so to speak. So you can be fired. You can't be fired from society. I mean, you can be exterminated, and that's what some of these uh, ruthless and, and evil leaders do, uh, saying, well, you're not a part, you, you don't, if you're not uh, committed to the transcendent goal of our race, uh, we're going to get rid of you because you're a traitor to the people, or you're from an inferior race, and so on. And then, well, and I don't have to go into details of how much horror that has created it historically. Okay. So I believe that the, the role of a society or the mission of a society is to become a platform in which individuals can pursue their individual goals uh, and, and, and life purposes with peace and with mutual respect. And I, I emphasize this because your, your freedom ends where mine starts. So, you, you know, you're free to use your property and you're free to, to, to pursue your life ambition, but with some boundaries based on the need to coexist. You, you can't say, oh, to pursue my life ambition, I, I like your car, so I'm going to take it. Right. Uh, that, that, that's the dissolution of society. So there, that's what I mean by an institutional structure that um, harnesses the individual's desires for self-improvement or, or the improvement of their condition in a way that doesn't harm uh, through uh, coercion or, or, or aggression or violence the opportunities of other members of the society to also pursue their ambitions. And that's a, a very important structure that underlies every successful society. But the success in society is the success of the individuals of society. There's no entity called society that has a, a purpose of its own. Every time someone wants to speak for the people, uh, it usually becomes a tyrant that ends up leaving a lot of dead bodies being in its wake. So, you you say uh, in the book that the meaning revolution explores a paradigm shift from matter to meaning, from compensation, command, and control to purpose, principle, and people, from management to leadership. And I think you know, when I read the first half of the book, it seemed like you addressed what are effectively the challenges that every organization faces, which are disengagement, disinformation, uh, 
disorganization and power. Uh, so do you mind expanding on what those challenges are and the impact that they have on a company? And then we can go into how we solve those issues. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sure. Well, I, I like to use the metaphor or an analogy I use in the book because it's very graphic. Um, the, the first challenge, uh, which I call disorganization, is uh, illustrated by the, the challenge that a soccer team would, would face if we looked at it from 
the individual point of view. So if you go to a defensive player and you ask any defensive player, what's your job? Well, the defensive player will say, well, to stop goals. That, that's what I get paid to do. That, that's how I'm evaluated. That's my uh, KPI or my key performance indicator. Uh, that, that's, that's what my coach asked me to do. I'm here to protect the goal. That's my job. And if you ask an offensive player, and say, my goal, my job is to score goals. Uh, that's what I'm being evaluated on. That's what I get paid to do. That's what the coach asks me to do. And that's what I'm here for. Nobody would disagree with that. Uh, I mean, I, I challenge you and uh, your listeners to uh, go to any company or if they work in a company to ask their peers, you know, what's your job? What, 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 what do you do here? And the question will always be something specific, like um, I'm in accounting or I'm uh, a marketing manager or I, uh, I do uh, customer service uh, calls and, or I'm in sales. Okay, that's wrong. The, the challenge of every company is that all those answers, as obvious as they seem, are wrong. And you know, that the first time I thought about it, I was completely flabbergasted by realizing something so obvious was, was a mistake because I was sure I, I would answer the same thing. And the, the reason why this is a mistake is because in order to optimize the system, you have to sub-optimize the subsystems. The job of a defensive player is the same job as the one of an offensive player, is the same job as one of the coach, and it's the same job as one of the, uh, the one of the water boy. And the job of every person that is affiliated to the team is to help the team win. That's the only job. That's the the only reason why people are there to help the team win. Now, people may have different roles and organize themselves to help the team win most effectively, but it's it's a putting the cart before the horse to say, um, my job is to be a defensive player. No, your job is to help the team win. You do it most often defending, but your job is to help the team win, not to defend. And you may wonder, well, why, why does this matter? What difference does this make? Well, it makes a huge difference because if you think your job is to defend when uh, you're losing 1-0 and there's five minutes to go, the coach will ask you to go and attack, to go and um, try to help the, the offensive line score. And you're going to say, oh, no, that's not my job. I'm not here to score goals. I'm here to protect the goal. And in fact, if I go forward and I try to score another goal, um, I may get scored against in a counterattack because I'm going to leave my position unprotected by going forward. So if you really are trying to minimize the chances that you will be scored against, you should stay back. You should not go forward and, and try to score. Uh, that, that would be a very bad strategy for the team. Because from the point of view of the team, whether you lose 1-0 or 2-0 is irrelevant. Your KPI may be affected, your bonus may be affected, because now, you know, instead of one goal against, you, know, you have two goals scored against you. But the truth is, it doesn't matter, you still lose. Losing 1-0 or losing 2-0 is still a loss. Whereas 
losing 1-0 or tying 1-1 makes a huge difference uh, to the team. So the, the, the key realization that I, that I had was most people in companies are focused on doing what they feel they get paid to do, what they believe is going to optimize their subsystem. But when you put all these optimized subsystems together, you don't get an optimized system, you get a mess. And that, that's what I call disorganization. And I, I, uh, another analogy I use is, is less funny, but it's the analogy of cancer. Because the cancerous cells are extremely successful. They're reproducing and gaining power and energy and space and nutrients and all that. And they keep growing until the body dies. Um, now, you could say the, 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 the person lost, but the cancer, it, it's a pyrrhic victory, but the cancer won because it became so big that it just it could be controlled by the rest of the organism. And the cancer is essentially cells that are growing out of line with the global welfare of the body. So you could say that can also happen in society when a group says we're going to take, I don't know, say a mafia group that says we're going to keep, you know, squeezing the, 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 the people in this neighborhood and we'll, we have a protection racket. We're going to take money and more and more and more money until, you know, everybody leaves or dies because they can't pay the extortion. Um, that, that doesn't mean they were not successful, but they being successful in a way that destroys the system at the end is self-defeating. And I see this happening in companies all the time, all the time. And people don't realize that they're having fights because each one of them is trying to solve for their problem. So the salesperson wants to sell more. The product person wants to be innovative. The engineering person wants to be efficient and elegant. Uh, the manufacturing person wants to minimize costs. Uh, you know, and, and nobody's thinking about the system. Each person is doing the best for their sub-organization. But the goal of the company is not to maximize revenue, is not to minimize cost, is not to maximize speed. The, the, the goal of the company is to fulfill its mission uh, effectively and ethically. And as long as people are not understanding that that's their job, that's the only job they have, um, it won't happen. Wow. Well, I guess the the question then that poses is, what are the solutions to all of this? I know that you talk about the role of autonomy, purpose, and mastery uh, motivation. Yes. So how do we get from where you're talking about the, the sort of toxic consequences to the ones that, that ultimately allow both the individual and the organization to thrive? Yes. Uh, great question. Well, be, before I give you the, the good answer, I'll tell you the bad answer that I spent years exploring. As I said, you know, I, my goal is to help people not go through into the cul-de-sacs that, that I've ended up finding myself. Um, you could say, well, why don't we compensate everybody for the success of the team? That seems like an obvious way to solve the problem. You know, if you want to optimize the system, then compensate everybody uh, through the performance of the system as a whole. In a soccer team, that would mean... Well, uh, you know, if we win, everybody wins. And if we lose, uh, nobody gets bonus or something like that. Uh, in a company, um, let's just say if you have a sales force, you can tell 
all there's a sales commission pool and 10% of whatever uh, the everybody sells goes into this pool and then it's divided equally between all the people and that makes perfect sense from a mathematical standpoint because it solves the optimization problem the the issue with that is that human beings are self-interested and they have private information uh, meaning I know how hard I'm working and you you can't tell really how hard. you can see what I do with my body perhaps through external observation but nobody can tell am I thinking really hard am I being as creative as I can be am I pushing myself am I exploring all the options uh, yeah, am I being scared about things or am I being lazy about other things you don't know you just nobody can know because these are internal experiences that are uh, impossible to uh, to observe from ex- from an external perspective, uh, and the, the the problem that that creates is that people become very strategic about the way they game the system, uh, and you have the same problem essentially that the communist system will have because you create a pool that you say well everybody's going to get average, but you have two significant problems there. The first is that uh, average pay as I say in the book, drives the best ones away. So if you have you know, a superstar salesperson that's at the top end of the distribution, uh, he or she is not going to want uh, to, to get average pay because they can get three times average pay or 10 times average pay. So if you say, we pay average to all our salespeople, you're going to get the worst people because anybody that's above average is not going to want to be there. So your average is going to go down and again, everybody's going to try to be riding the coattails of those who are better than them uh, to increase their compensation. And anybody who feels they're being taken advantage because they feel they're above the average of that organization is going to look for greener pastures. Um, that's a very bad outcome. In, in, in economics, we call that adverse selection. You're, you're selecting the worst people. And the other problem is called moral hazard. And this, you know, if there's a thousand salespeople, your impact in your compensation is one over 1,000. So you're not going to work that hard because you know that your compensation depends on how hard the other 999 people work. So then everybody ends up focusing much more on what other people do and yelling and complaining and fighting and demanding other people and claiming that they haven't been treated justly or that they work harder. Uh, than everybody else. Um, and it, you know, these, these two problems, moral hazard and adverse selection, have uh, essentially brought down the Berlin Wall um, and, uh, and also modernized China because the, the, the very communist regimes that attempted to run a society with equality realize that the price to pay for this equality is total collapse. And the same thing happens in companies. There are very few companies that will Im- implement these collective schemes and last very long. Because these are these are not this is not because people are evil. This is just just the way humans are. If we were angels, the the, the attempt to uh, have everybody uh, contribute according to his means and take uh, and receive or collect according to his needs would be lovely. It's, it's a very lofty objective for a social organization, but it just doesn't work with real human beings. Mm-hmm. And it ends up always creating 
um, chaos and, and violence. So how do we solve this problem? If we, if we can't do individual incentives and we can't do collective incentives, you know, what the hell do we do? This, this, is the, this is the problem that led me to write the book. I've been struggling with this problem for 30 years. It's just, it, it really seems like a no-win situation. And uh, as Einstein said, you know, we can't solve the problems we've created in the same level of uh, thinking that created the problem. We have to think at a higher level. And that's when I realized we, we can't address these problems just with mathematics. We can't just look for a clever incentive system. There's something else that human beings have, which are desires for transcendence, desires to have a life of meaning, a life of community and belonging, a life with love, a life with autonomy uh, to explore oneself and, and develop one's capacities. And, and all these things, you can't, you can't buy this. There's no money to pay for this. This is something that um, you, you offer as a platform for people to, to develop. You can't give people autonomy. You can't give people community and you can't give people meaning, but you can create the conditions in which people find them, in which people can develop them together and individually. And that's the, the solution that I found is a set of incentives that is not monetary, but it's spiritual. You can call it that way. Understanding spirit as an uh, animating force, as, a, as something that drives people to want to do the best, not because they're being just paid to do the best, but because it's the right thing to do, because it's ethical, because it's conducive to making for themselves a life that is relevant, that will leave a mark, that will not be forgotten. And I, I, I know, I mean, first by introspection and then by talking to many people, that ultimately our fear is that our lives won't matter, that we will just be this proverbial spark in, in eternity, a blink of an eye, and then we'll be gone and nobody will remember us and our life will have made no difference. So we all want to participate in projects that will give us a chance to avoid that very sad fate uh, and do something that will help others, that will touch others, that will improve their lives, that will leave a legacy, that will allow us to say, my life really mattered. And not just to me, not just because I had a lot of pleasure, but because I did something that was important. Uh, today, so many of the incentive systems in companies are designed towards pleasure and what I call frivolous happiness. Uh, that you know, and it's, I, I'm not against uh, enjoying a good movie or, or having a margarita at the beach, uh, but ultimately that, that doesn't really fill you up. I, I mean, it doesn't fill me up. I can have one, but by the time you have your 10th margarita at the beach, it's not enjoyable anymore. And, <laughs> uh, you know, when you spend a month uh, relaxing at the beach and just watching the sunset, that, that was beautiful the first day. It kind of gets boring and, and you say, okay, what am I going to do? And you get restless because you know that there's something more that you were born to do than to watch sunsets and sip margaritas. 
uh, no matter how beautiful the landscape is. And then you want to do something. You want to make something happen because you know intrinsically that that's, that's the purpose of your life. And you are going to give your life whatever purpose is suitable to your unique signature uh, or you can call it your soul print or whatever. But there's something that you were born to do and you have to find what it is and then actually pursue it. And if you don't, you will end up miserable. So leading in a way that gives people the opportunity to realize that soul print, to, to manifest their unique signature in this world in service of others is the ultimate uh, non-monetary contract and it's the ultimate incentive. So a leader says, look, I'll, I'll give you the chance to participate in this project that will not only give you financial security and you know, the material things you need to satisfy your needs, but more importantly, will give you a chance to make your life great, to, to grow in autonomy, in wisdom, in compassion, in, 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 in cooperation with others, and make something that will, will touch a lot of people now and maybe for many years to come. I don't know, when people say, I want to cure cancer, you know, that may not be the most financially rewarding career for them. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are passionate about that and would love to work in companies that have that mission. And, and you know, then you don't have to worry about these collective versus individual incentives because people are so committed to the mission that brings them together that um, they won't prey upon each other. They won't uh, be opportunistic in taking advantage of an incentive system because they feel identified. It's part of them. They have in internalized the mission of the group to make it the mission of their own. And that's the ultimate solution. And that's what, I, what, what I'm trying to advocate with the book. Uh, leadership or transcendent leadership is this kind of invitation that gets people fired up um, to, you know, with this sacred fire. And they, they want to collaborate. They want to participate in a project that's beautiful and ethical because it's in service of the rest. That's what I like about the the market system, uh, because it's an opt-out or opt-in system, you, you, you better develop products that make other people's lives better, because if not, people won't buy them. Of course, you can tweak the system, you can, you can prey upon people's uh, vulnerabilities with vices and, 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 and substances that are addictive or, or uh, advertisement that fools them into making decisions that ultimately they'll regret. That, that's, that's one of the dangers of any system. But at best, when people are in organizations that are mindful, that are um, willing to improve other people's lives, then it's just the most beautiful endeavor that I can imagine. Mm, wow. So I have two final questions for you. I know we've got about 10 minutes left here. Um, you talk about this idea of conscious capitalism, and I had to ask about that because, you know, on the one side you have conscious capitalism, and then you have things, you know, that people like Noam Chomsky are talking about, the fact that when you have such inequality in a society, the systemic consequences are catastrophic. How do those two things coexist? Well, 
I would say, I, I, I don't disagree with Chomsky. So let me start there. I do believe that with certain levels of inequality, things become catastrophic. The question is what system is best to avoid this, um, I would say, extreme inequality and how, how much inequality is still acceptable within a system. Um, I personally don't, don't, don't want to focus on inequality. I want to focus on ethics and morality because, um, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I, 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 I believe absolutely that when, when people abide by very basic ethical rules of interaction, there's a natural level of inequality that ensues that has to do with the inequality of our nature. Like I, I mean, I don't know if I, if I take it to basketball, for example, you know, I will never be able to play at an equality level with a professional NBA player. There's just no way. I don't have the equipment. Uh, or in singing, I can't sing like Freddie Mercury or Barbara Streisand. I, I mean, I just, I'll never do it, no matter how much I try. And if I say, oh, but there's a certain, we, we all have, we have to be equal. Now, why should they have the opportunity to perform in these big venues and not me and so on? That That's just wrong. I mean, I, it's, 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 it's envy, it's uh, jealousy, it's... Um, it's, it's the greed for the unearned. You know, I don't deserve it. And just the same, I mean, I know it's a little hotter, but if I go into academic realms, I, I sometimes when I, I tell my students, if you, we're going to do a, a great redistribution scheme. So uh, it, there's, it would be catastrophic that some students get A's and some students fail. That's terrible. You know, that's not fair. Uh, we all need to... Uh, focus on, on creating, uh, diminishing the inequality. So we're going to take, uh, you know, whatever, we're going to take the average, and then everybody's going to be graded at average. And the students that did better in the test are going to uh, be taxed, and the points of these students will be given to the ones that, that did worse. So that way we don't have this terrible difference between the best students and the worst performing students. And of course, the, 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 there's an uproar, and the students, I mean, they start complaining, and uh, in, a, in a joking manner, because they know I'm not serious about it, I couldn't do something like this. Um, and I think in society, there's something similar about what, what is the ethical principles through which we want to reduce the inequalities, but in a way that uh, still respect the natural differences in, in talents and also in effort. Some people want to you know, give themselves to a certain task, uh, and some people don't. Some some people want to work less or want to work, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in something that brings more joy to their heart. So measuring this only economically seems rather poor to me. What, what I'm against is violence. What I'm against is force applied to pursue some allegedly ultimate goal that will justify the abuse of the individuals and uh, doing things to them that uh, ultimately destroy them. So I think, like Adam Smith, that when every individual pursues their own interest in a legitimate 
way that guarantees the coexistence, the pacific, the peaceful coexistence in society, then that will bring the best outcome with the minimum reasonable or natural level of inequality in society. Um, another another question with which I challenge my students is to say, imagine that you could double the income of everybody today in the United States, just double the income of everybody in, in real terms, no, not just uh, inflation, but real doubling of income. Would you take that? And, and of course, most people, I think, be uncontroversial to say yes. I mean, why would we not want everybody to be better off? But that would significantly decrease the uh, or the, the, the index of, uh, meaning make it more unequal it would it would it would double the level of inequality depending on how you measure it and you say well if you're focused on inequality then you should not accept this you you would want the poor to remain as poor as they are instead of doubling their income just because you don't want the rich to have twice as much and I said that why why do you care I mean why why does that matter to you let the rich be rich, okay. I mean, I mean, of course, if they earned or they, they made their money in unfair way or criminal ways, of course, I'm against it. But I'm against it because it's ethical uh, to to not to condemn these people for what they've done, not because they're rich. If someone is rich and they became rich legitimately through choice and through uh, contributing to the lives of others, what do I care if they have all the money in the world? The, the more, the better. I mean, I, I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I like everybody to have a good life. Um, so the, the conscious capitalism idea is if, if you can do this unconsciously, as Adam Smith said, uh, just let everybody pursue their own self-interest in a, uh, as I said, in a legitimate way, uh, and then society will be better. How much better society could be if people wanting to help, wanted to help others on purpose, consciously, not being unconscious capitalists, but being conscious. So, uh, I mean, when, when Larry and Sergey uh, founded Google, they, uh, they had this great principle, is first do no evil. And it, it, it's really powerful to say, we are, we're here to organize the world's information, to make people more productive, or you know, if you look at LinkedIn's uh, mission, I, I mean, I, I have the honor of being friends with Reid Hoffman, and, and just incredibly inspiring mission to to connect the world professionals to make them more productive and successful. I feel proud to do that, it, and not just because we make money with that, but I feel proud both LinkedIn and Google. I feel proud to be part of organizations that are helping people live better lives and making the world more, uh, I don't know, friendly uh, or, or more connected, more, more open, more available, more resourceful. That, that's, that's conscious. In addition to the money we make and in addition to the compensation I get as an employee of these companies, I feel I'm getting a huge payoff or a huge uh, extra bonus for being a member in a project that it's just, well, it certainly is leaving a mark in humanity. Well, I think that makes a really fitting end to our conversation. So I want to ask you one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable. Tell me, tell me more about unmistakable. Unmistakable, like 
they would not be mistaken with someone by, with, with someone else or they will be not ever making a mistake. I think the, uh, the, the former rather than the latter. That's actually yeah. how I define it. Yeah, unmistakable meaning people will know you are you and, <clears throat> yeah. and you would be unique, differentiated. Exactly. I think what what makes each one of us unmistakable is that we are a unique uh, uh, I hesitate, but uh, probably this is my truth because I hesitate to say it. It's a little too out there, but, but I'll say it. it's it's that we are each one of us is a facet of an infinitely faceted diamond. You can call it consciousness. You can call it what is. You can call it the universe. You can call it life, or you can call it God, whatever word you want to use, or it or that which is. It's an infinitely faceted diamond. And each one of us is a unique expression of that. So everybody's unmistakable in its in his or her essence. The question is translating that unmistakable individual divine essence into a manifestation in this reality, into a life well lived, into a true following of what the Indian tradition calls your dharma, which is your duty, your truth, your your essence, your expression. So what makes someone unmistakable in my view is that they have recognized themselves as a true and unique expression of the dharma of the of the s of the divine infinite energy and then they live their life accordingly to express it mm. well i think that makes a really beautiful end to our conversation where can people find out more about you your work in the book uh well uh, the, the book is called the mini revolution and you can find it in amazon i, I think that's uh, the, the obvious place to learn more about it but uh my i i am in on linkedin uh, Fred Kaufman, K-O-F-M-A-N, and I put there a whole, like a hundred short videos of five minutes or so with the course that I created for LinkedIn on leadership, and it's freely available to everybody. There are summaries of the book and all sorts of things. So if people just go to my profile and, and look for uh, the publications that I put there in LinkedIn, it's the easiest way to find me. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.